This episode is brought to you by Shuggies. Shuggies is on a mission to sweeten people's lives and create little moments of happiness and joy every day. Isn't that nice? That's so nice. <laughs> so Shuggies is infused cane sugar and infused agave nectar. And you can use Shuggies wherever you would want something to be a little sweeter, like stir it into your coffee in the morning or brew up a batch of lemonade on a hot summer afternoon. That sounds so refreshing. Mm. I would use it in baking. Oh, what would you make? Right now, I'm kind of into snickerdoodles, if I'm going to be honest. I, I feel like they're the... Them. Yeah, right? Like nobody remembers them. And every time I see one, I'm so pleased. So I'm trying to find a really good snickerdoodle recipe right now. Yeah, make a fat snickerdoodle and put some shuggies on it and call it a shuggy doodle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Check them out at shuggies.com. That's S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S.com. Or find them on Instagram at that shuggies feeling. Yeah, that shuggies feeling. I want that feeling all the time. Yeah, elevate your everyday with shuggies. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? How are you? Feeling good. Yeah, right? Sliding around. <laughs> Feeling what? all loose. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Uh, I don't know. Slippery? Didn't you feel a shift? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, actually. In the cosmos? We were talking about that. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot when we, we both felt kind of like smog and stuck mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind yesterday like... woke up and I was like, oh, my gosh, something shifted. Yeah, the juice was flowing again. Fucking, I wonder if anyone else out there felt a little sludgy. Yeah, kind of molasses-y. Such a good description of it. Yeah, I don't know what shifted recently, but I woke up and all Uh of a sudden I felt like me again. It was beautiful. It made me think of um, uh, Fatbergs. (laughs) Like, you do you know, like, so Fatbergs are like... I don't know what it is, okay. but I do know I wish that I had a restaurant named it. Because Universal Fatberg? Uni- no, or just Fatberg. What Universal Fatberg would be an amazing restaurant name. I feel like Universal Fatberg would also be a great name for like a series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see an animated show about uh, some alien. It's almost like a at-home sitcom. Yeah. But it's on an alien spaceship with aliens. Yeah, yeah. You're just taking Full House and putting it into the Milky Way. And they're, yeah, they're called the Universal Fatbergs. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> no, Fatbergs are like, like giant clump of like hair and fat and debris that will clog up a sewer. And so you'll, every once in a while you'll hear about like a Cadillac-sized Fatberg being unclogged from some, you know, drain in the Manhattan sewer system or They're whatever. that big? They're enormous. Because Bergs, you, you like made iceberg, me think you know? about when I was dating a couple people and they would shower at my place. Oh. And then, I, you know, like your drain, your shower drain gets okay. gross. Like who, it gets who clogged. Are you, who are you dating that's clogging your shower up? Cousin It. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was dating Cousin It for a while. It, it was good. We right. It was like six months, hot and heavy. But, you know, after six months, you lose a little steam. and yeah, That hair pulling gets old. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so much hair to pull. I know. Can you sexy? It is, but you keep gathering it, and you only have so many hands when you're having sex with cousin. You know what I mean? Wow. How do you hold? Because you would either have to hold it one in each hand, like a wad of hair in each hand during sex, right. or one huge mane. Okay. How? But there's still one, so much hair. I would get. I would get like the reins on a on a horse. I would get one hand in on either side of cousin it. Yes. 
And if I were having sex with cousin it, <laughs> that is how I would do it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back to the Fatbergs. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I started dating people having sex with drink. cousin it. <laughs> Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Weed and Grub. This is a podcast about cannabis, comedy, cooking, culture, and calling shit out. And fatbergs. And cousin it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder what happens when you unclog a fatberg, because everything's got to go, right? Like, it's so backed up that when it unclogs, it just, like, gushes again. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what it felt like. Like, I felt like I had some blockage. And then something shifted, maybe the full moon shifted it, whatever the heck it was. There was a cosmic sort of unblocking where that, you know, mental fatberg or whatever the heck was going on with me just dislodged. And then all of a sudden the juices were flowing again. You woke up in Forbes. I... Your juices are flowing. I am so fucking grateful. It feels wild. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm a little, um, I don't know, my cheeks are hot, you know? Can I just say congratulations? Thank you. On pod, I just want to... Genuinely say I'm just really is it weird to say I'm proud of you? Does that Not make at all. me that doesn't give a weird connotation because nope. proud is like a weird word to me. Uh it makes me feel great actually. So okay. thank you. Because uh, I am. I'm like so fucking proud of you. Congrats, Mary Jane. Thank you so much. It it's uh it's a really cool feeling. I'm really grateful to Zoe Wilder for hooking it up and Warren Bobro for writing really amazing piece. And um oh. yeah, I loved I loved uh you know, getting to put a bunch of stuff out there in that piece about just of the amazing people, collaborators, artists that I've gotten to work with and profile over um, the time that I've been, you know, writing and also, you know, just working in the theater. And I don't know, it felt really great to um, have have that opportunity. And so I'm just really grateful. And thank you. And we're coming up on 2020. So it's the end of all the teens right uh-huh. now. It's kind of cool to look back on my life and be like, what happened from the 10 to the teen to the 20 Mm -hmm. that I'm proud of. Yeah. And so it was really cool to read your interview and be like, whoa, there's a lot of fullness in there. Thank you. It feels like a really cool look back and it feels like, um, I don't know, I think it's just a really neat time to be a woman of my age in the world right now. Like I, um, you know, like low key, pikey, key, very all the keys. I'm like really stoked about Keanu Reeves' new girlfriend, Alexandra, Alexandra Grant, rocking some gorgeous silver hair and just being fucking you know beautiful and brilliant and and not worrying about living through some societal lens that is like you know impeding how she actually is and who she actually is and um so this just feels like an opportunity for me to really embrace like who and how I actually am and I was really grateful for that opportunity to put that out there too and do here with you all the time you know and talk about things that are real and who we really are and what we really think you're so fucking authentic Jesus Oh, it makes me so happy. It's all an act. <laughs> no, it's not. You wish it was, because then you'd be more protected. Oh, <laughs> so vulnerable. All your cousin it hair just fell over yourself, and you just like shut yeah. away, curl yourself away like a cocoon. Yeah. Oh. Wait, can I? I do you mind if I share something? I'm what? I, uh, do it, you have news that I don't know about? I do have some news. Whoa. I don't want to take anything away from Forbes, so I just need to tell you that I'm really, really happy for you. Okay. And I also have to tell you something I haven't told you yet. Okay. I got suspended from TikTok after being on it for three days, and I can't post on it until November 17th. What the fuck did you put (laughs) on there? I just joined TikTok, and I'm already suspended. Next door app. 
TikTok. I was going to say. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? You're getting suspended. What did you do? I posted we went to that Green Street uh, dinner party. Yeah, yeah. And the I Gusto post- Green. The Gusto Green mm-hmm. dinner party. And I posted those tempura hemp leaves yeah. on my TikTok and added a fun song. And I was just trying to get into it. And I wrote weed leaves instead of hemp leaves on it. Oh. And they were like, this goes against this violation and this violation and this violation and this violation. And you are not allowed to post no matter what until November 17th. And I tried to appeal it. And they were like, absolutely not. Go fuck yourself. Wow. Fuck you, TikTok. I got TikToked. That's such a fucking bullshit. I can't believe they did that. Isn't that crazy? Like tempura weed leaves. I, I, had I written hemp? I wonder if I still would have gotten banned or not because I wrote weed. Who cares? Good point. Who the fuck cares? Like, fuck TikTok. That's fucking ridiculous, and I'm pissed off on your behalf. Thank you. That is bullshit. Well, fuck that censorship. Fuck all the censorship that's happening right now in the world. Exactly. Fuck that. That's exactly how I feel mm-hmm. about it. Like, I need a democratic um, social media app. Okay. But that sounds scary. What Never does mind. That even I take mean? that. You know what? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds boring. <laughs> Democratic social media app sounds terrible. What do we just talk about like human rights and well actually that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Honestly, it kind of ties into our news story this week. About bans yeah. and censorship yeah. and violations of your fucking rights. Fucking yeah. So Neil Young, our uh, story is that Neil Young's marijuana use may uh, prevent him from becoming a naturalized US citizen. Wait, what? Yeah. I thought he was a US citizen. No, Neil Young is Canadian. Oh, he's just been rocking in the free world for a long time. As reported by the New York Times, uh, Neil Young wrote on his website, when I recently applied for American citizenship, I passed the test. Um, But then he added that after he passed, he was told that, quote, I must do another test due to my use of marijuana and how some people who smoke it have exhibited a problem. Um, But then David Crosby tweeted and was like, fuck that. This has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that Donald Trump hates Neil Young and he wants to block him becoming a citizen because Neil Young famously prevented Trump from using his uh, song at one of his rallies. That's right. Yeah, Rockin' in the Free World in 2015. Um, Trump played it when he was announcing his candidacy and Neil Young was like, shut that shit down. No, thank you. But anyway, whatever I trust Crosby about it. I do too. (laughs) That guy knows what's up. He does know what's up and he's fighting every single day to make sure that what's up right now changes. Yeah. I 100% trust that man. After looking him in the eye and seeing that twinkle, but knowing that underneath it is like seething rage at where we're headed and his desire to fight against it. Yeah. I I trust it. He's the best definition of a hippie, meaning like he's a fucking revolutionary and who's going to fight against the fucking establishment and the man to make sure that what's right gets back. So does that mean that Neil Young will never become a U.S. citizen and he's not going to be allowed to vote in the 2020 election? No. uh, Drug use does not automatically disqualify you for naturalization, but it complicates the process, evidently. So, you know, there have been plenty of people who have had drug convictions on either side of the border who have not been able to cross, who have suffered for, you know, something as simple as just getting busted for, you know, a fucking joint or whatever, and then can never go into, like, um, American citizens have also had issues about going into Canada. So it's, it's you know, that back and forth across the border has definitely been fucked by the crazy drug laws for a very long time. But um, let's hope that Neil Young does not... Uh, 
suffer from the same that he's able to vote in 2020 absolutely and please vote in 2020 everybody if you don't vote i will come to your house and i will slap you you can look up russian slapping contests to find out just how hard it's very hard it's very hard your whole neck turns around yeah like an owl i will hit you so hard that you won't know your mother's name although if you don't vote (laughs) i will be violent with you oh it's not going to be sexual at all oh it'll be sexual for me I get off on that. <laughs> anyway. Oh, this one's called the Grow Jotter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that just came in the mail. Isn't that awesome? The Gold I, Leaf Grow Jotter is the shit. I love being in the pocket with you because we're talking about like Fatbergs unclogging, mm-hmm. growth Forbes. Yeah. And the Gold Leaf journal that we're talking about is the Grow Jotter. Isn't it sweet? So it's the perfect size to take into your grow if you're a seasoned cultivator or you're just starting out with your own plant in your own home grow. This jotter is the best because it's got all that, you know, you can keep track of like all of your nutrients, your garden vitals, what you've planted and all that kind of stuff. And then it's got like the date and the week and and the cycle of your feeding, feeding schedule, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I thought it meant grow as in like you keep track of your growth as a human being. Yes. And it's also for it is to chart your spiritual evolution. As well in as. In addition to your cannabis plants. I love it. Yes. Yo. Write it all down in there. Fucking both tied together. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. You can get it at shopgoldleaf.com, Mike. Heck yeah. Or on Instagram at goldleaf. Gold but there's no. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> My dad gardens. Does he? Yeah. He's got a really good green thumb. Very green. Vibrantly green. That's amazing. Peppers. Uh, cucumbers. Tomatoes. You know, and I've not gardened ever right i can't even say the sentence right well you had a house plant that you brought over to my house and then just left there <laughs> you're like can you look after this while i'm out of town and i was like sure i'll water your plant and then you just never reclaimed it where is it uh i don't know what happened to that plant i think I did left you leave it, it on the old... doorstep of a firehouse no i left it in the garden of my old house because my uh, neighbor was a good gardener and he could look after it better than i could and me who had it for an hour yeah yeah yeah. Oh, God, that's so funny. That's so true. Uh-huh. You know, I would grow I would uh, grow my own weed, though. Oh, absolutely. I think we that's the way to go. Abdullah about how important it is just as, you know, like to just to maintain some uh, form of ownership over, you know, what everyone has fought so fucking hard for to legalize cannabis that you should. It's it's really sort of like it, sh- it should be mandated that uh, you, you have to grow. You yeah. Know, in order to. Um, yeah. Just just make sure that we all uh, have the right to. To maintain the rights like you have to vote in order to ensure that you continue to have the right to vote and you should grow to uh make sure that we all have access to cannabis preach yeah. what's your soup situation for these winter months my soup situation meaning like what am i making what am i you're so anti-soup i don't know if i can talk to you about my soup situation i know but i've been reading a lot online about people just like celebrating soup season yeah. and how it is upon us uh-huh. and so i need to not be such a arm crossed angry never gonna change kind of person and i want to like maybe broaden my soup horizons well let me actually pull up my friend michael slips uh profile here because he just made a soup that i would like to shout out on this podcast because i'd never heard of it i used to work with michael at cafe luxembourg in new york he's an incredible poet and uh chef and he wrote that he made his first zansa mustard soup which is a dutch mustard soup mustard soup doesn't that sound crazy and it's made with just a ton of cheese and mustard and it looks amazing there's maybe some ham in there i don't know the whole thing looks do you have a picture yeah whoa this is beautiful yeah 
Oh, so, it, it has like that. It's like a light nacho color, like almost it like kind of it's looks mustard. Like queso. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it looks like a really thick, hearty, gorgeous, cheesy soup. And I'm so into Ooh. that kind of like um, soup Ooh. game of you know, like everyone's like all about the carrot ginger or the you know, tomato bisque or whatever the heck. But like a you know, a hearty cheese soup sounds pretty incredible. I would be really into. Um, I love a cioppino in the winter months. I have an amazing... What's a cioppino? Cioppino is an Italian seafood stew with um, tomato base. And a gorgeous, you know, all the things that you can put in there. You can put anything in there, like is mussels it... and scallops and crab and shrimp and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, it's a and seafood fish. style. It's a seafood stew. Oof. It's a hearty seafood stew. It's so good. I have an amazing fishes and dishes cookbook. Our friend Keo who wrote uh, Fishes and Dishes with her sister, Tomi, they have an incredible Chipino recipe in there that I'll actually post it on Instagram so everyone can check it out because it's the best. And if you can get your hands on some really gorgeous fresh Alaskan salmon, that's the key. See, this is what I'm talking about. That to me is like, the soup feels like an excuse to have buttery, garlicky, crusty bread. Absolutely. And I'm all about that. So I just need the right soup so I can have an excuse to like shove a loaf down my hole. I (laughs) Totally. I ordered mussels at a restaurant the other night and was just sitting reading at the bar and eating mussels and slurping on the bread. And I realized that like I was eating like a, like a Viking warrior who just come <laughs> home from battle. Like I at one point was like, oh, I think maybe there's some eyes on me because I'm just like slurping and smacking and like making mm sounds because it was also good in that fucking crusty bread. And then I beat my chest after every third bite. <laughs> <laughs> you are in a mood. Uh, <laughs> fat bergs. <laughs> Well, since you've already shouted out one person, do you want to get to our buds of the week? Yes. Okay. Would you like to go first or second? Uh, I'll go. I'll go first. Yeah, it's your day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's my friend Lucy Wildblood. She's at Beat Dizzy on Instagram. She's I don't know, just the most fun. I used to know Lucy back in the day when we were like going to Burning Man and running around and being complete wild, wild, wild lunatics. And then I didn't see her for a really long time. And then we reconnected at a time when. I just like needed some good friends and she was just so there for me and just she's an incredible person. She knows so much about birds and the woods and all this cool stuff. She lives on a beautiful piece of property in Washington and she's always like sending me pictures of like cool plants and awesome knowledge and she's just a solid lovely person and she just posted a quote on her Facebook that made me love her all the all the more. She said, "I think the proper term, she's British. I wish I could do her beautiful English accent." I think the proper term for senior women should be queen agers. <gasps> that is all. Carry on. That's queen her Queen agers? Queen agers. Yo. For, for, the, for, the, for the elder witches. Isn't that lovely? I fucking love that. Yeah. Damn. Lucy Wildblood. I mean, her name alone. I know. Her name is Wildblood. She's, she's amazing. She's an amazing human. My butt of the week this week? I wanted to shout out Chef Renee. Nice. Yeah, right. So on Instagram, it is at Chef Renee MB. So it's Chef Renee with two E's MB. And when we were in Tampa filming some things that are coming out at Thanksgiving. 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 Oh, man, I dropped the ball. <laughs> um, she was a wonderful person to meet, and her food is delicious, and she is so kind. Um, I don't know. Every day that we were hanging with her, I felt bright, light, and full of, like, light. Yeah, she's got a really amazing story, too, about how um, learning how to make edibles, uh, like, turned her health around and really saved her. Legit saved her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was, "Mm, we can't tell her, I don't want to tell her story without her. No. Let's see if we can have her tell her own story on here. I would love that. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Oh man, you really got me excited now because she, yes. Okay. Let's get her on the pod. Let's get her on the fucking pod. Yeah. Chef Renee. That's what's up. That's so awesome. yeah. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. Feeling unclogged. Feeling yeah. really happy. Good. Speaking of, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Our VIB this week, our very important bud, mm-hmm. pretty spectacular human being impacted my childhood in ways that I know I'm not alone in saying like, yep, that was my childhood. Yeah. And to be able to speak with Tom was not only fascinating and educational, but it was also something that I just felt really blessed to be able to do. Yeah. People the world over have watched his work for so long. He's like just impacted so many people. (gasps) Mary Jane. What? Do you know what I just realized? Fuck, man, the universe is cool. What? The universe is fucking cool because you talking about your Forbes article Mm -hmm. and all of the people that you shouted out and wanted to celebrate through it. Mm -hmm. And our whole interview with Tom, he was listing all of the people he works with and all of the people that he appreciates. They all rose up together to create really fantastic things that they were proud of. Yeah. A lot of giving credit. It is. To other people while being humble about his own incredible fucking artistic success and achievements so cool so fucking cool well yo i i love how great this feels yeah let's get into it yeah absolutely okay without further ado here is our chat with tom ruger hi everyone as you know mike and i love to travel and we love to check out new shops everywhere we go yeah one of our favorite places to go is vegas what's up vegas what up yo life is beautiful the fremont experience any reason at all any seriously any reason at all go right now Yes, let's go. Let's well, go. while we're there, we should go to, to our favorite dispensary, Euphoria Wellness. They were the first dispensary to open in Las Vegas, and they have won multiple Best of Las Vegas awards. Right? You open first, and you do it the best? Mm-hmm. Sign me up. I loved how when we got to Euphoria, the staff was super welcoming. So nice. And then check-in was super quick. And then the best part, you have an experienced wellness guide with you, so they can walk you through the entire process and help you select the best products for what you need. And they have a huge selection of flour, edibles, cartridges, and tons more, and they're house brand of flour which is called suma so good it's amazing yeah suma um, yo suma. honestly you walk in there you go through check-in and then you have a wellness guide walk you through and then you get suma yeah stop that's so, so good check them out the next time you're in vegas their website is euphoriawellnessnv.com that's euphoriawellnessnv like for nevada.com yeah and use our special promo code grub and you'll get 10 percent off your next visit at the dispensary keep out of reach of children for use only by adults 21 years of age and older no other coupons or discounts apply you did it like one of the that yeah, sounded right? so good thanks yeah yeah go to euphoria wellnessnv.com magical butter magical butter How much fun is that? Magical Butter is the best machine for making all of your edibles at home. Let me ask you three questions. Okay. Can I make infused chocolates? Yes. Gummies? Yes. Tinctures? Yes. Oils? Yes. Butter? That was five. (laughs) (laughs) And yes. And you can buy Magical Ghee from MagicalButter.com, and that's Whole30 approved and compliant, so you can infuse your own ghee and then still be on your Whole30 diet. Ooh, that sounds... I'm actually thinking about doing Whole30 again. Well, you should get your Magical Butter machine and get that ghee going. Get that ghee going. Get that ghee going. (laughs) MagicalButter.com. Use promo code WEEDANDGRUB at checkout for 20% off. And check out their Instagram because it is the sexiest food pics I've ever seen. So go to at MagicalButter and peep it, follow it, like it, fave it, comment. (laughs) Lick it, like it, love it. They're good vibes all day. Good people doing good things. MagicalButter.com. Use the promo code WEEDANDGRUB at checkout. Give them a follow. And make your own edibles at home, man. Why not? What goes into them and it'll feel so good. Yeah. That should be their tagline. Yeah. Magical butter. (laughs) You know what goes into it and then you feel good. (laughs) (laughs) 
MagicalButter.com, promo code Weed and Grub at checkout will get you 20% off. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Uh, spectacular. I cannot believe the office. Is this your office? Yes, this is uh, my office where I write and draw. Amazing. Would you mind introducing yourself and saying a little bit so everyone can know about you? Hi, guys uh, and gals. Uh, I'm Tom Ruger, and I uh, created a bunch of cartoon shows that some of you may remember, like Animaniacs, Pink in the Brain, Tiny Toons. And I'm here today to share some uh, thoughts and uh, have a good time with Mike and Mary Jane. Yeah, I can't believe what's behind me and that you save all of the Animaniac scripts and it's just like you have a history of my childhood here that's remarkable. Well, I wish I had them all, but I don't, but I have a good number of them. I have some Animaniacs, some Tiny Toons, some Pinky in the Brain, even things uh, before that. I, I wrote, uh, created the... Snorks? Sn oh, that's you my childhood. You don't remember Snorks. I do. Wow. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the first shows I ever worked on at Hanna-Barbera. I went on after that. I did Pound Puppies and a pup named Scooby-Doo. So those were uh, fun. Yeah, Snorks. So there was Under the Sea. It was like uh, SpongeBob before SpongeBob. The, yeah, I sort of remember them as sort of like Smurf-like. Yes, they, they were, they were like the same Smurfs. designer. Yeah. Peo designed uh, Snorks. It was just a quick cash grab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's move this underwater. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, everyone hold their breath and let's watch. <laughs> Didn't last long. No. What, did you start as a writer? I started at Hanna Barbera as a, as an animator, assistant animator. I I, I uh, came out from New Jersey. Can I tell you my arrival story? Oh please. Yeah. So uh, drove out and uh, didn't have a job. I had like five hundred bucks in a car. So uh, you can imagine, you know, you got to gauge what you can do. So I found a very, very inexpensive motel. This is many years ago on Sunset Boulevard. And I could see the building where Chuck Jones' office was. And that's, that was one of my goals. I wanted to meet Chuck Jones. Uh, and also, Bakshi was making some films nearby. So I was within uh, walking distance of those locations. So I, uh, I dropped off one of my portfolios to Bakshi. And then I went back to the motel. And I realized, well, I may not... Get, but he may not get back to me for weeks, so I, I'm, I could be screwed here. So I started calling up every company I could think of. So I called up Hanna-Barbera. This is from a phone booth out in front of my motel because my motel is very cheap. There are no phones in the room. It's a phone booth, and the phone booth itself was uh, used by uh, women who uh, you know, made a living uh, by taking those calls and going out on... You know, Dates. that was Dates. Their, mm -hmm. yes. They were a little annoyed that I was using the phone. So, could you move it along? There's a business line. Come on. I call up Hanna Barbera. I, I, I oh, who would you like to speak with? And I'm like, uh, Bill Hanna. You know, go to the top. So they connect me to Hanna's office, and I said, uh, I'm Tom Ruger. I'm from New Jersey. I'm an animator. I lied, and uh, I'd love to uh, get a job. And she's like, Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mr. Hanna's very busy. Let me get your number. So. Phone booths back then, they had the number on the, on the phone, so I gave them the number and got off. And, you know, by then the women were like, come on, get out. So I go back to my room. Two hours later, it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I get a knock on the door. Yeah? Uh, are you Ruger? Yeah, yes, I am. And it's one of the women out by the booth. Well, there's a call for you. Hurry it up, really. I, I've got a lot of calls coming in. Hurry it up. So I run out there. I... Uh, it's, uh, please hold for Bill Hanna. 
And I'm like, uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, uh, is this Ruger? Yes. Yeah. Hi, Bill. This is Tom Ruger. Uh, I'm looking for work. Well, get over here. We're really busy. So he hangs up. I'm like, get over there. Where? Where am I going? <laughs> so, so I look up where Hanna-Barbera is. Uh, no phones back then, so you needed a Thomas guide, and I, I knew it was on Kawanga. So I, I drive, I'm on Sunset, I drive up uh, the 101 and get off somewhere n- near Kawanga, but there are two Kawangas. There's one, there's one on the Hollywood side, and there's one in the valley. So I get really screwed up. But I finally get to uh, the one uh, across the freeway from Universal, which is where Hanna-Barbera is. So I go in there, and uh, yeah, and they get hurried into the office. He's got 10 people in his office. He's like, he's one of the busiest producers in the world. He's got, so he, he says, uh, Ruger, come on in here. Yeah, Joe just sold like 30 half hours worth of shows. I mean, it, it, you know, 30 series. Uh-huh. So it's like, I don't know what we're going to do. We need everybody we can get. Now, let me see if you can draw. So he looks at my portfolio. I've left it at Bakshi, so I brought slides. So Bill Hanna's going over the window, <laughs> looking, holding the, the slide up to the sun. What the hell is that? Oh, that's a, that's a dog, uh, Bill. So that's not a dog in my book. All right. Well, so he gives me uh, a one-month trial period. And uh, so I started as an assistant animator. And to get, and it was all about footage. You had to churn out enough footage. So basically, the animator would give you rough draft animation of like Scooby running along being chased by a ghost and then your job is to clean up those those drawings and then get those approved by the animator and then do all the in-betweens which are mapped out charted out by him and so somehow I survived mainly I survived by I took everything home at night I worked on the weekends I mean to get my footage even close to what the standard guy was doing I needed to work you know 20 hours a day but I managed to survive that, uh, that month. And then I saw Bill Hanna uh, a few weeks later. And I, I said, uh, so Mr. Hanna, it was like 8 o'clock at night, and he's walking around. And I said, Mr. Hanna, I just want to thank you for that opportunity you gave me. I, you know, I survived the month trial, and I'm here. And he said, oh, yeah, Ruger. And he looks at his chart, and he pulls out his chart and says, Ruger, yeah. Get your footage up, will you? Because he's, he's, <laughs> he's got information on everyone. Yeah, he's a great guy. You survived. I did, and then I, uh, after anime, then I went to filmation, and then I went back. Uh, so I got hired by Hannah the first time, and the second time I got, I had to go in and uh, basically be interviewed by Joe Barbera, who's a completely different dude. So Hannah's like this, you know, busy. You know, almost like you'd see, uh, you know, like the city editor uh, in a newspaper, and we were, oh, we got to get the headlines, and uh, you got to get a deadline, uh-huh. like that. Barbera, it was like going in to see The Godfather. The dark room, you know, shadows. You could almost hear the, the music from The Godfather going. And he's sitting there, and he's impeccably dressed. He's got, uh, uh, his nails are perfect. He's got rings. You almost think, oh, you're going to have to kiss the ring. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I go in, and he says, yeah, uh, yeah, so Ruger, uh, yeah, yeah, nice to meet you. So I'm working on this Yogi Bear uh, new cartoon. And uh, so I'm thinking, Yogi, you know, he wants to escape from the park because uh, the ranger's really driving him crazy. So Joe Barbera proceeds to, for the next half hour, 
tell me a Yogi Bear cartoon that he's working on. I don't think I said seven words. So he's telling me this stuff. So would you like to work on cartoons like that? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I grew up with that stuff. I love that. I love Yogi. All right. I'll see you on Monday. Yeah. Whoa. So, fait accompli, I guess. Sure. But I worked for them uh, for, you know, a decade. So they were uh, wonderful uh, employers, really. Uh, and, and Joe was... Uh, he really cared about all the different cartoons, and, and, and Bill cared about just making sure they got made on time. Yeah, he didn't say you're welcome. He said, step it up. <laughs> yeah, he did, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he had deadlines. Joe was the creative guy. He didn't really care about the deadlines. Yeah. With all of that, it sounds like the perfect job if you put in the work for what your goal was, to like learn just from the ground up how, to, how it's really done. Absolutely. Uh, there's one thing I learned. I'll show it to you right now. Uh, a guy named Volus Jones, who was one of the great animators of uh, Donald Duck with Disney, he worked uh, at Disney for years. So he was at Hanna-Barbera when I started. And so if, if you're making a cartoon and you want to have bees chase your hero. Would you mind if I film this? Well, uh, I have to go get something. Can I? Can of we course, we can. We have all the time in the world. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Volus Jones, I, I had this scene that he was the animator for. I was the assistant animator, and he needed me to have Scooby chased by a bunch of bees. So he reached into his drawer uh, and pulled out a piece of sandpaper. He said, well, there, here's how you do bees. So you've got, you've got Scooby over here running for his life, and the bees, which are you know, thousands of bees, so how do you do it? You, you take your pencil, turn it on its side, put sandpaper beneath the animation paper. And you can see it's sort of a, it looks sort of like a swarm. Wow. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I never would have thought of doing it that way. I, I would have probably been going like this until the end of time with <laughs> little dots. But uh, this actually prints and reads better as bees than, uh, than uh, these little dots. So there you go. There's how you do bees in animation. That's incredible. Uh, wow. So, so anyway, Bolus Jones, great mentor, uh, wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, just a whole bunch of uh, great uh, animators there. Uh, the young guys like Moro Maressa and Charlie Howe and Max Beecraft and I, uh, we were just trying to survive. And these old guys, they would bring us in. And one of the famous lines with Bob Wilkie always remembered this line was, that Ruger, he can't draw worth a lick. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, that was Jay Sarbury, and he was right. I, I, so I eventually uh, transitioned to writing. I, I, I wrote uh, a spec script. Uh, it was called uh, Pitts and His Pal. That was my first uh, animated script. It was about uh, two dogs, a pit bull and uh, a basset. The basset was like the friend. The pit bull was the depressant. He was, uh, his girlfriend had broken up with him and he wanted to kill himself. And so the cartoon is like a Wile E. Coyote cartoon where, in this case, Wile E. is the friend dog who's trying to save his friend who's uh, going to kill himself. And in each time he tries to kill himself, the friend gets annihilated. So oh. <laughs> it, and you keep going back and back and back. So he jumps off a building and he squashes the friend. He, you know. Anyway, uh, so I sent that to Filmation, and they uh, 
they read it and they said we can't use this it's about <laughs> suicide i don't think the kids are gonna like it but uh but we'll hire you so, so yeah i would like to watch that honestly that i would too great. It, it does sound like fun yeah yeah i have yeah. that around somewhere so uh yeah filmation and then back to hanna-barbera to work on uh snorks <laughs> it's also fascinating I wanted to know about when you started working with actors going from animating to writing to then actually working with the voice talent so uh, at Hanna-Barbera uh, I, I, I love going to the sessions mm. at Filmation you rarely got to go to the sessions at Hanna-Barbera they encouraged uh, the story editors to attend because there might be some little subtlety in the script that's not coming through in the, in the dialogue so that's when I, I, I first started experiencing that. And the first session, uh, let's see. The first session I attended was a Scooby-Doo, which was, uh, you know, fabulous. You see Don Messick, who did the voice of Scooby, but he also, back then, Scrappy was in the show. Mm -hmm. And he could do Scrappy, and he could, he, say they were all falling off a cliff, Scooby and Scrappy and the rest of the gang. Don Messick, when they're falling off a cliff, he didn't have to do two different takes. He actually could do Scooby and Scrappy at the same exact time. He, his voice, he, it's like he had two larynx. He, he, he could overlap himself. It was just brilliant. Don Messick, what a, what a great talent. Of course, uh, Frank Welker was doing Freddy back then, and he's now doing Scooby. So anyway, uh, Scooby was the first stuff. Uh, Jonathan Winters, one of my childhood idols, my father's favorite comedian, uh, did voices on something called Pound Puppies, and mm -hmm. so that was the first time I saw Jonathan in action, and that was always a treat, and Jonathan went on to do uh, some Tiny Tunes and some Animaniacs for us. I always loved him. Did you just let him go? Well, or, cause I, he actually, is so... I actually have, uh, I have a session of his somewhere uh, where we kept the, the mic on the whole time and really the dialogue that was written is like who cares <laughs> it's just listening to Jonathan just tell his stories and some of them are bitter <laughs> some, but some of them are very funny and sometimes he's just making stuff up wow. yeah if we're going to talk about Jonathan Winters and your family like for me uh, I can track Tiny Toons and Animaniacs as being monster parts of my childhood, and also my comedy. And then I would say Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy oh. and uh, The Far Side are like the other components for me. I have all the books. You do? Far Side and Jack Handy. Incredible. Uh, so, so those, okay, so those are ours, but also what about for your childhood? What was the, the tip? So I uh, started, I, I was a big Howdy Doody fan when I was very young, and that went off the air. It's like, what? How can that, what do you mean off the air? I didn't understand that at all. And then that was replaced the following Saturday by the Sherry Lewis show. Oh, yeah. Great ventriloquist. Oh, the Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop. Yeah. So literally, uh, she replaced Howdy Doody, and it was like, well, she's kind of cute. I'll, I'll go with her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my big shows were the Hanna-Barbera shows. Uh, Yogi, uh, Quick Draw, Huck, those, those half hours were appointment viewing for kids my age. And they would be on like at 6.30 at, in the afternoon, at night, like right before dinner time. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were syndicated and they were on once a week. And so it was really uh, awesome. Those shows were very hot. Yeah, and then you would sit in front of them drawing yourself? I did, I would draw. Uh, I think when my parents noticed I was drawing Fred Flintstone freehand, not tracing, 
that's when they said, oh, let's get this guy some more paper and pencils and crayons and things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a pretty good Fred. Well, I'm getting there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that when you studied at, was it Dartmouth? I, I went to Dartmouth. Uh, I, I was an English major. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they had a, they didn't have a film, they didn't have a film major. They had a film studies program, which you could uh, add to your major if you wanted. And uh, at Dartmouth, um, they had this thing called the Arthur and Lily Mayer Foundation. And I think each year they would give maybe $1,000 to make a film. So I don't know about you, but in college, $1,000 sounded like a million dollars. It's like, oh, I'm going to make the gun with the wind with this. <laughs> so I applied, and uh, they gave me uh, the $1,000 to make something called uh, the premiere of Platypus Duck, which, you know, I could show you that at some point. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you don't sound... You sound like at the time it might have been incredible, but now you're not so sure. Oh, no, I, I, I like it very much, but it was like two and a half years of my life. Yeah. And uh, in college, you probably should be uh, not getting so obsessed with one thing. So that's what that would be my, the downside of that, that. It's really all I did for two and a half years in college. How was long like was it? 11 minutes. Every it's, cell hand-drawn by well, you? Well, uh, uh, some of it was just on paper, but uh, and I did get I did suck some people in to help paint and do some things. But yeah, it was way too much. It should have been two minutes long, mm. not eleven. I would have been done if it were two minutes. Long. <laughs> yeah, but it's an opus, right? Like, right. It's like this is it. Yes, this big thing, and I yeah. So uh, yeah, so that that's what I brought out to Bill Hanna on that story I told you. I, I said, well, I brought my film, the premiere of Platypus Duck. You can see this, and it was on sixteen. He said, you know how we make film out here. I said, well, yeah, how? I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> we can't run that. Oh, my God. Yeah, so oh, that's bad. How much work did you do with the music, with the scoring? Where were they in the building, and how much interaction did you have with them? Paul, De- Paul DeCourt and Hoyt Curtin were the music department of Hanna-Barbera at that point. And... Uh, Decord had been there since the early 60s where he'd done uh, Yogi and Flintstones. And uh, Paul Decord was uh, a relative newcomer. He'd only been there like 12 years. Oh, sure. And, uh, but Paul Decord uh, was very encouraging, and, and he, he wanted us to uh, try new things. So, for instance, on the first episode of uh, The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, we said we'd really like to do uh, a version of to all the girls I loved before, and we wanted to do to all the ghouls I've loved before. Mm -hmm. And Hanna-Barbera never went out and uh, licensed a song, but they did on this one. They they went and and lined it up. Now, I I also worked with John Debney on A Pup Named Scooby-Doo on the the main title, and and on some of the little things we called Scooby romps, where Scooby and the gang would dance uh, along to a piece of music. So... John Debney did the music for Pup Named Scooby-Doo, and he went on to, he's done like a lot of Academy Award uh, nominated uh, scores okay. since then. Yeah, he's quite the uh, Hollywood uh, scoring king. Do they just bring an orchestra into the lot when you're like, I mean, even for Tiny Tunes and Animaniacs, like these are orchestral pieces that are being they sound live they were done uh on the same stage that carl stalling did the original looney tunes cartoons holy shit and we did have the full orchestra i think it's been renamed the clint eastwood uh stage where where i mean they record all the music for the big movies but yeah we had 
a full orchestra for Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and Peaky in the Brain. And Richard Stone and uh, Stephen Julie Bernstein and uh, Gordon Goodwin and several other composers just worked their tails off on uh, creating these incredible scores. Xylophones, the unsung hero of cartoons. cartoons. Very, very key. Very key. And surprisingly, uh, Richard Stone told me, uh, the uh, the other instrument, almost on the opposite uh, end of that scale, uh, that you'd think, oh, that must be a part of cartoons too, and it's you almost never hear the tuba, almost never, huh. and it's just because uh, a French horn and and other instruments can kind of handle what a tuba can do, and the tuba is is a little limited, mm. and the xylo is like, of course, that's just like the life of a cartoon often, yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. the piano. There's a friend of ours, uh, Michael Walker, who uh, one of the oh, songs, Sherhoven, right. uh, was that was the name Pinky of the song? Pinky and the Brain. Uh, From uh, Leven? No, no, it's the Schmierksko uh, Hoven. Uh, he was talking about how he this it's this loved the song so much. He made a zine in school describing how to do the dance, and he got detention. <laughs> He got detention? He got, <laughs> oh, because he made him. a zine. What a good man. <laughs> outlining how to do the dance. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I wish I could play it. It's not Oh, I don't have now. service. Yeah. In, That's uh, a pink in the brain. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had another one called Schnitzelbank that was very funny, too, that, uh, that you could dance to that, too. Schnitzelbank. Yeah. yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. 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 Um, with all of those, though, you're, I didn't know that I was learning. You kind of tricked me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not mad about it because now I know where Lake Titicaca is. Yeah. Between Bolivia and Peru. Yeah. See, I wouldn't know that to this day without that song. Mm-hmm. I have to sing the song to remember. Everyone yeah. knows where it is. Was that important to have the educational for you? Or is it like, I just want to be as funny as possible and push the limits? Like, Well, if you think about the Lake Titicaca song, it really is, it's like pretending to be educational you know? Yeah. And so we did that, I think, a lot. Like Schnitzel Bank is, we're sort of pretending to be educational, but in the end, the Warner Brothers are like, they're beating the guy up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Schnitzel Bank is, is, is a, uh, excuse me, uh, Lake Titicaca, uh, it's, it's very humorous in that it's worth getting to say uh, those two funny words <laughs> at the it. end. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the, the even the, the the nations of the world and the capitals you know yes you could qualify them as educational but really they're lists they're lists true and if they're educational it's it's because kids are going to actually take the time to memorize the song because they like the song yeah it's not because they like uh, Venezuela, <laughs> yeah, huge Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. And and the capitals probably is even more helpful to the uh, the kids of of the U.S. because they do get tested on the capitals. It's how I took my. T- I remember because I had the cassette of yeah. all of the songs, and that helped me pass. Yeah, that, uh, that one does, and it, it takes a little while to get some to, to get to the capitals that are later in the song. It's like, oh wait, where is that? Vermont? Yeah. I forget. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think we weren't terribly uh, devoted to uh, making the shows educational, but things did slip in there. Yeah. <laughs> were you writing to entertain your own children? Because I know that they were the inspiration for they, the Animaniacs. They were, they were, and uh, I would bring 
you know, pencil tests home. I would bring uh, uh, rough cuts home. When I brought home the burping songs for you know, Wacko at the uh, Hollywood Bowl, the, you know, I knew we had gold there because they loved that. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the worst experiences I had at uh, Warner Brothers, we were putting, they were putting together uh, an album for the Animaniacs. And, you know, these, you had the album. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the burp songs were supposed to be on those, but uh, someone at uh, Consumer Products thought they were too uh, outrageous that parents would be upset. What? Yeah, so they didn't get on. It was a shame. It is a shame. Yeah. That's I don't nuts. like that person. No. <laughs> <laughs> How we put the show together, uh, I don't know if I've explained this anywhere before. Uh, we made... For Animaniacs, we made, you know, 60, maybe 70 cartoons before we knew we were going on the air September 13th. We had, so I had a wall of cards. Now, we produced them in half-hour blocks. Like, here's here's a, a Yakko and Wacko and Dot cartoon. Here's a Pinky in the Brain. Here's a Slappy. Here's a, a, a Mime Time. And we think that'll be a half an hour, about. But we didn't assign those cartoons to a specific we didn't say those that's going to be the order of that episode oh. so i had literally a hundred cards on the wall and i had a length listed and so i knew i needed to fill a 22 minute slot and so we cher i cherry picked like for the first week that what i thought was the best stuff we had mm. so we really front loaded with i think the gold but I took it, you know, from it probably the first episode we showed uh, of the Warners was maybe the the 15th episode we made. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, because so that was the best you had hidden. You right. hit stride. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We hit the stride. Uh, the Pink in the Brain one happened to be the first Pink in the Brain one because we didn't have any others to go with. But, uh, yeah. Sla so some of them were in order, but the, the Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, we definitely loaded the best because we had a lot of those ready to go. Down to Wheel of Morality and everything. Well, yeah, the Wheel of Morality uh, that we knew. See, I knew that by doing it this way, where uh, I'm taking uh, a, a cartoon from the 20th episode we made and the 11th episode, I knew we were going to come up short sometime. So I needed some Wheels of Morality to uh, pull us out of the fire. I love that. that, that, that that's your parachute. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, and then you come up with whatever it's going to be later. You just say that we need a wheel of morality right here. We'll figure it out. Well, we we what we did was we we wrote all the wheels of morality uh, in like one lump, and we reused the footage because we always had uh, Yakko holding the card in front of his mouth, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know what he was going to say. You could say anything. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, so it'd be, you know, uh, what were some of the my favorite? My favorite, I think, was uh, if you have nothing nice to say, you're probably at the ice capades. Uh, <laughs> um, if, if first you don't succeed, blame it on your parents. You know, that's uh -huh. right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. How does it work? Because, like, now in a writer's room, it would just be like a Google Doc, and everybody's piling into a Google Doc, and maybe the head writer goes home and highlights the favorites, shortens that up, sends Is it that to the right? showrunner. Wow. Yeah. So what was the what was a room like, or was there even a room? Here's here was our room. Uh, the 
the writers, there was uh, Sherry Stoner and Paul Rugg and Tom Minton and John McCann and Peter Hastings, and Nick Hollander, and I know I'm forgetting, I mean, Charlie Hal, Gordon Bresek, uh, Earl Kress. Anyway, whoever was uh, not on vacation, we, we would get together uh, maybe once a week or once every two weeks. And now, say we're in the middle of the process. Say we're, you know, we're already, we've already all made some cartoons. We literally would go over, hey, uh, who's, got a, who's working on uh, a Tiny Toons? Who's, uh, who's working on a, 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 a Yakko Wacko and Dot? Who's doing a, a Pinky in the Brain? Because we got to get some stuff to the storyboard artist. And so that would be like old business, right? So can we get that to the, to, uh, over to Amblin to get their, them to read it and approve it by Friday? Yeah, okay. All right, new business. Uh, who's got uh, some pinking the brain ideas? And people would chime in. I, I, you know, I want to send them to the Kentucky Derby. Great, start working on that. Uh, uh, Animaniacs. Uh, Paul Rugg says, I, I want to do a Heart of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> With, with the director, with Jerry Lewis, director guy, and they have to stop him. Uh, and we're like, yeah, go, go, go write that. Yeah. Uh, Gordon would say, I want to do uh, Abe Lincoln. I, wanna, I want the Warners to help him write the Gettysburg Address. Done. I mean, literally, those were our writer meetings. It was like, we're all gathered around, and uh, it's pretty much, very much a yes meeting it's like sounds good i mean if it's something we've already done we you know but there was no uh you know now the writers were all there we were all there in, physically in the building on a in, a in a row of offices and quite honestly all of us would get stumped and we're getting some little spot in the script it's like i have no idea what i'm even writing now and you'd go down to the office and you'd stop by rug or mccann or peter or sherry and you'd spitball what do you think I should do here and you get you get different opinions and uh, this I think this process when you get really funny talented people uh, and they're given their head and they're say yeah here go write the funniest damn cartoon you can it's 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 very uh, freeing can I ask about your villains yes Elmira isn't intentionally obnoxious well, is she? She's pretty brutal. But she's so brutal. She's, she's so brutal. brutal. Well, the voice, uh, Chris Summer does the voice, and it's really just what you want to kill her, don't you? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the worst. The, I lived in Northridge when we started uh, Tiny Tunes, and my neighbor uh, was, her name was Elmira Lamb. That was her name. And I, I had never even thought of her name until. You know, suddenly I'm making tiny tunes, and uh, we need someone for Elmer. We need, let's and I said, let's make it a girl and call her Elmira because I had my neighbor with that name, and that just happened instantly. And Ken Boyer and Alfred Germano drew. They took Elmer Fudd and they put that wig on him, mm -hmm. and there was Elmira. That I mean, what face. a hideous monster! <laughs> it's the biggest head in the world. It's crazy. I know. And yeah, so we we wrote a few of hers, and and we knew early on that she, she you could only take so much of Elmira, mm -hmm. and then later on when the network said we want to make uh, Elmira Pinky in the Brain, and we we thought well you're completely insane. I mean, how do you pitch like we just want to? It's it's Looney Tunes for my generation, b while also honoring Looney Tunes, right? Right, which 
makes perfect sense in my head to say out loud, but the uh, the concept of that is a lot more difficult. You know? Well, yeah, I, it came, uh, I guess, um, uh, t uh, Semmel. Semmel was, uh, Daly and Semmel ran Warner Brothers back then. Terry Semmel uh, got together with Steven Spielberg uh, like one night, like in Cannes or something, and I think they got drunk, I'm guessing. And, <laughs> And uh, someone said, we want you over here, Stephen. We need you to do something. Come on, you know, you're doing stuff for Paramount. You're doing it for Universal. Why not Warner Brothers? What's the deal? And he said, well, I, I do like your cartoons. Mm. Why don't I do something with your cartoons? That's a great idea. Why don't you make a movie with our cartoon characters? And uh, he said, yeah, that'd be good. But, uh, you know, so I'm going to get, we're going to have to split the, the value of these Cartoons, so I mean, you're gonna cut me in on the Looney Tunes, right? No, we're not gonna do that, Stephen. No, no, you can't. You're not gonna take our bread and butter. No, you're not gonna take Looney Tunes. Well, then we'll have to come up with characters that are Looney Tunes like. And uh, oh, okay, so Tiny. That's how where Tiny Tunes uh, began. It was originally called Tiny T U N E S, bizarre. Mm. And uh, Mitch Shower drew the very first. Uh, Buster Bunny, who was called Bitsy Bunny at that point. And so Gene McCurdy, who had just been hired at Warner Brothers to head up the animation division, uh, uh, was brought into the discussion and uh, Semmel told her, well, find a company that can make some cartoons for us, you know, I mean, Nelvana or, you know. And she said, well, why don't we make it ourselves? We have a lot of people in, in LA that could probably do this and we can put a little company together. And so they figured out financially that might work. And they had a ton of Batman money at this point because Batman was gigantic and they had made a fortune. So they had a little extra cash. The animated series or the Adam West? The movie, the movie. Uh, with uh, Tim Burton's movie. They had just made a fortune with that. So they were, they were just loaded with dough. So uh, they made the uh, deal with Steven. And we had this first meeting. I was terrified you know, with Steven, it's like, oh my God, you know. I just quit my job at Hanna-Barbera, I'm gonna be in with the king of Hollywood, and and I'd been like working all weekend on story ideas and things, and I thought, what, what year it? was this? This was 89, and I'm thinking, oh, he's, what if he hates it? I'm dead, I'm dead yeah. in the door now. So uh, at that first meeting, I mean, we had very little, we had no names for the characters. We, it really was a wide open uh, playing field. It was like, well, we wanna do these young uh, Looney Tunes, and so at that first meeting, we came up with Acme Luniversity. We came up with Acme Acres. We came up with uh, some of the names of the characters. And I think the reason I got the job or you know, was able to secure the job was that I, I basically said, you know, I told them about the cartoons I loved when I was a kid and how that's the kind of cartoons I think we should, should be making. And they should sound similar to those cartoons and should have the the different styles of the different directors, like the Tex Avery style, the Chuck Jones style. And I knew I had people available that had those sort of personalities to inject into the series. So anyway, survived the meeting and uh, you know, really in earnest started making uh, Tiny Tunes. But as for the villains, so there's Elmira, there was Montana Max. Mm -hmm. He was based on um, a character. Steven made us go over to his studio he got a, a print uh, of uh, a movie. I think the movie he had us watch was Tobacco Road, and it had this 
bucktooth, weird hick guy in it. <laughs> and he wanted us to turn that kind of gruff character into a kid. And Montana Max ultimately had those sort of uh, weird teeth, and he was just very gruff. So we got the entire crew went over to Amblin, and we watched this movie with popcorn and candy and everything, uh, all to get Montana Max. Was Stephen hands off? Did he say, thank you so much, you do your thing, we're going to do it? Or was it very much a collaboration uh, all the way through because there was a lot writing on it? Like, Yeah, I think Stephen... Um, definitely took this this particular production very seriously uh he was at a point where he had some a break in some of his uh feature film making so he he really devoted a, a great deal of time to the tiny tunes stories and the tiny tunes storyboards and uh you know he encouraged you know encouraged everyone but he did bring us in for storyboard meetings he he Taught me one, you know, taught me many things. Uh, he went into the, the, to the Moviola. Mm -hmm. We had Moviolas back then, and he showed Joe Gall and me how to cut an animated scene so that it has more energy. And uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, say we have uh, uh, Plucky is flying through the air, and he's heading toward a brick wall. And, and he hits the wall, and, you know, it's like splat. And it's pretty good, right? So Stephen says, "What you want to make that hurt more?" And we said, "Yes, we do." <laughs> <laughs> Always, <laughs> please. So we said, "Okay, right before he hits the wall, take out the two frames before he hits the wall, so that basically he's flying toward the wall, and then suddenly it hits the wall earlier than you expect, and it's like boom! It, it just adds that it, by removing a couple frames before he hits the wall, it, right before he hits the wall, it, it makes all the difference on the impact." Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. There are other times I've heard stories about, um, what was it, a $250,000 inside joke? $250,000 joke. It was something about uh, that was, um, in the brain, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, it I was know. The, the peas, the frozen peas. Frozen peas, yeah. The Orson Welles. Well, that's the uh, cartoon parody, right? we made. Uh, uh, Peter wrote that cartoon, <laughs> and it's based on Maurice LaMarche, uh, who does the voice of the brain, which sounds very much like Orson Welles. And so... The reason Mo did this voice for the brain, he had been doing Tiny Tunes with Taz, and he'd come into every session, and his warm-up exercise was he would do Orson Welles. That was his warm-up. It was like, there's a farm out in Lincolnshire that uh, you know Mrs. Mrs. Brody or peas grow there. So this is what he would do. So the, the cartoon that was the $250,000 inside joke was we actually made an animated cartoon of the brain going in for recording session and it's the same copy as Orson Welles had to go through years before yelling at all the people in the booth and complaining that you know there's no way I can say the word in July in emphasize in <laughs> in in a sentence you find me a Shakespearean actor who can do that and I'll go down on you stuff like that <laughs> the theme songs are so chock full of all the information I will ever need to know in my life. That's <laughs> <laughs> all, all you need to know. That's all you Done. need to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. It's it's incredible. Like how how it has it feels like the most important part of the show. 
in some ways, even though it's like 30 seconds of exposition. It's remarkable. I just want to know, like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? My my favorite part of Animaniacs is I, I love that that main title. And I also like the thing that occasionally would go with it, which was Newsreel of the Stars, you know, 1929, Warner Brothers Studio makes new cartoon characters. And then it, it, it's a black and white little piece where they show how Yakka, Wacka, and Dot were created and they got locked in the water tower until today when they escaped. And then we go to the main title. Uh, that really, that like minute, uh, that two and a half minute piece right there is is really that's that's the whole series yeah, yeah it's yeah. remarkable but you know we're, we're listing the characters we did that with um with tiny tunes that main title so i was sort of like replicating that with tiny tunes we didn't really have uh, a variable we didn't have uh, a switch at the end that i liked that we had with Animaniacs where, you know, totally insane you know, Those and, then, the and then we, you know, Pinky and the Brainy, uh, the, here's the show's namey, uh, Dana Delaney. I liked uh, all those different swap outs. Oh, yeah, because every Daniel Delaney was different. Yeah, it was. It was like, you know, the rain in Spainy. Uh, <laughs> where's Lon Chaney? <laughs> I mean, we've talked a lot about um, things that came from my childhood and Mary Jane about uh, snorks, snorks and, and all that. And... Um, but you're still really tapped in to the world, and you're still creating shows that you want to see made. And we talk a lot about how to stay young, how to stay <laughs> on on top of what needs to be stayed on top of to create relevant entertainment. And I just would like to hear a little bit more about like what's important to you and how you make sure you're still like you know creatively thriving. Well. That's that's a big question. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my my goal has for a long time. My goal has been to tell really good stories, funny stories, and there's a lot. There's a lot of entertainment out there. There are a great many number of cartoon shows and 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 stories. And my goal is to s tell stories that are original, and not that that's not being done, but it's not being done everywhere. A lot of shows, a lot of stories, while the characters may seem new, they're really sort of recycling the same old stuff. Um, I, I like to see shows that are taking chances and, and doing new comedy. It might not always work out, but, uh, but you're not getting the same story that you've seen in every sitcom or in every cartoon that's ever been. So that's the challenge uh, for me. I, I find that I, I want to do uh, funny cartoons, but I don't want to do the same cartoon over and over. I want to do something new and terrific on its own. And, uh, you know, a lot of the studios really, they don't necessarily want original. They, they might want the same old stuff, but, uh, you know, wrapped in a shiny new bow. Yeah. So it's a little tricky. It is. Well, like, uh, I've been told my whole life in comedy, we love what you do, but we have no idea what to do with it. Oh, that see, it's original. Because it's original. That's right. Yeah. So to break through and then, like, to, to be able to execute at a level that becomes a global phenomenon, do they look at you and they're like, great, what's next? And then when you say, I want to do this, they're like, wait, what? And they, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, why would well, you yeah. want to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Animaniacs, uh, as nice as it was in its day, it probably was about 10 years ahead of 
what, what it, where, where it would be completely accepted. I mean, 20 years later, people are, are just going crazy about, oh, more animaniacs. Uh, it, it's, it's that it, it's caught up. I mean, and now, now it really is kind of a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I think there's room for more animaniacs, but I think there's room for a, a lot of other great cartoon ideas too, which you know, I certainly like to get off the ground. Be yeah. fun. Would you do a feature film? Like, would you want to go into Pixar and say, here's what I want to do, leave me alone? Or here's what I want to do, let's work together? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. I think both sound good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pixar, yeah. Give me a buzz. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. How about you? Uh, the first spec I ever wrote was for Family Guy. Oh, Because I funny. know I can write a funny joke, and I know I can write visual comedy really well. And I was like, hopefully storytelling I can learn how to tell a story but I know how to write a joke and I know how to be funny so I'll give that a shot now did you send it into them I didn't send it to them I okay. sent it to a couple of other places and that's how I ended up like getting to write packets and stuff like that well you you should send that to the Animaniacs fellow well, uh, his name is Wesley Wilde he's uh, the new showrunner because he comes from Family Guy yeah and so uh, I will you know, I'd love to see you will. in there that would be that a would be dream. dream. That would be a dream. Yeah. Honestly. I always, uh, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, to, to, to wrap up with all of this, um, there was some messages and questions that we got from oh, fans, if wow. you don't mind. Uh, all right. This is the, it was in all caps, and it just said, please talk about hysteria. Oh, oh, hysteria. Oh, that's nice. Hysteria. Let's see. There's a picture of hysteria right up there. Yeah. Cover of uh, uh, Daily Variety. Yep. And uh, let's see. We went. We made 52 or 54 episodes, half hours. Uh, five or six writers and uh, four or five directors and producers and maybe 40 artists worked uh, endlessly for two years on this uh, really, you know, funny, clever uh, history show. We had. Uh, all the greatest uh, voice actors of our current era. I mean, Maurice and Rob Paulson and uh, Lorraine Newman and Tress McNeil uh, did all these wonderful voices. They would do impersonations. We'd have like uh, Abe Lincoln was had like Johnny Carson's voice and uh, uh, George Washington was Bob Hope. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, is that wild? Huh? <laughs> and Billy West. Uh, oh man. He played. Uh, I think he did. Uh, like Georgie Jessel as Confucius. I mean, it, it was just weird ideas. Of, it was history lessons uh, done, uh, very comedic. Uh, we'd, we'd tell them the situation, what happened in, in the historical moment, but everything else was like comedy, 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 with all these great comedic voices uh, delivering the stuff. So it was very, very, uh, I think it was very funny. But uh, its curse, it was educational. Mm. It had educational elements and the kids smelled it they could uh -huh. smell it it's like if we had never if we had never mentioned if, if peggy sharon and the whole uh children's television workshop group hadn't said we need to have you know 50 hours a week of kids tv on every channel if that had never happened this show probably would have sneaked past and the kids wouldn't have known 
Damn. But their parents said, you know, that's educational. You should watch that. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going outside for once. Yeah. You <laughs> told me to do something. <laughs> Out of here. Yeah. 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 See ya. Xylophone down. Oh, as they leave? <laughs> yep. They leave a, a hole in <laughs> 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 Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, are you on social media? Is there anything you'd like I, to plug and well, share? I, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, I think it's uh, Ruger T. I'm on uh, Instagram. You can find me, uh, Tom Ruger. I'm on Facebook. I'm I'm there. I'm I'm all over the place. I have a blog, uh, cartoonatics uh, dot blogspot. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, and here let's let's uh, let's end this with. Uh, oh yes. Oh wow. Here we go. Would you like a horn? Sure. You want that? Oh, that's great. Oh yeah. That. Great. This yeah. is the ending. All okay. right. So you 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 cue us. So I, I'll hit the horn first? You do whatever you want. I don't uh, know. Let's yeah, go. let's I do it. No you idea. ready? Uh, everybody, you can find us at Weed and Grove on Instagram. Go to weedandgrove.com. Leave us a five-star review. This has been a dream. Here we go. Yeah.